Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today I am joined by Aiken Golf Club owner Jim McNair and golf course architect Blake Conant. This episode is powered by TD Ameritrade. Just as great golfers evolve the game, great brokerage firms evolve the market, and TD Ameritrade's innovations have always been game changers. From being the first brokerage to establish trading with your phone to being the first to feature trading through an app, TD Ameritrade has always led the way with breakthrough technology that helps you invest smarter. Visit tdameritrade.com backslash fried egg to learn more. Member SBIC. So this episode will be a little bit different structure than the normal one. Uh, our first, first we talk with Jim McNair of Aiken Golf Club. We did this on a visit to Aiken in, in February. I was blown away with Aiken. I think it's just a wonderful golf course. It's about 25 minutes from Augusta National. So anybody going down to the Masters, highly recommend adding Aiken to your itinerary. Uh, go play it. It's doesn't take long to play. It's very affordable for the Masters week. And if you're in the area and haven't played it, if you're within two hours, three hours driving distance, haven't played it, go check it out. I mean, it costs you 25 bucks to play on a weekend. It is an awesome golf course. Uh, usually, I think most golf courses that get heaped with praise are, are exclusive private clubs high in the rankings or the big dollar resorts. But in my mind, I, I find courses like Aiken that are able to provide an unbelievable architectural experience at a price that any golfer can afford to be the golf courses that deserve the most praise and, and the ones that kind of fulfill you the most when you play. You think about them the longest, and Aiken's just a special place. Uh, so we talk with Jim about his family, their ownership of uh, Aiken, and the story of it, the history of the course. And then uh, I call up my, my buddy Blake Conant, who's a shaper for Tom Doak and Renaissance Golf Design, to talk a little bit more about the course from, uh, from an architect's perspective. So hope you guys enjoy this episode and definitely add Aiken to your list of courses to see add it to your bucket list it's 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 a trip worth making especially if you're going to the masters the fried egg requires a different technique what you need to do is actually square the face so it'll dig down underneath that bad lie and propel that ball right out onto the green here's the thing playing out of a buried lie in a bunker is completely different than playing out of a nice clean lie in a greenside bunker you need to be aggressive on any shot whether it's sitting cleanly or it's a uh, fried egg well, we've all faced it, the dreaded fried egg. It's not to be feared, though. It's actually a pretty easy shot to hit. Talk like this. Like that, you know, close. Talk like this, real close. Yeah. Give me uh, what's your, what's your favorite fruit? Apples. Why, so actually, a, why, so it comes why up apples? The nutritional value. How about that? Yeah, I guess you get, I have uh, one every day. Have you ever had the envy apple? It's uh-huh. an, it's, oh my gosh. That's why they call it the envy apple. It's, it's killer. My wife has to go to a certain grocery store every day to get the envy apple. I mean, only one, I think Publix is the only one that has it. 
Envy Apple. I'm a big Honeycrisp guy. If I'm <laughs> Those are good. Apple, Those are good. I mean Honeycrisp. You got to find an Envy Apple. Once you get it, you'll never go back. It's, I'm, I might go down to that Publix just to get one now. <laughs> Tell us about Aiken Golf Club. How how did you come about here at Aiken Golf Club? Well, this is a family-owned golf course. Not too many left in the United States, probably. Uh, my father purchased it uh, from the city of Aiken in 1959. Uh, I was two years old, and I've grown up here. Um, and this is our 60th year uh, under ownership of the McNair family. So it's special. There's got probably got to only be a couple dozen families that have 60 years of golf course ownership and are still running. I would love to know the stats on that. I think we're a very small group. Tom Doka said on my podcast, he, t- he was talking about one of the toughest things about running your own golf courses, unlike businesses, when a, when a golf course goes out of business, then all of a sudden they have the advantage because the new owner comes in, buys the golf course on pennies on a dollar, and the golf course that's run a great business all the time is all, all of a sudden now the golf course that's fighting against somebody that has spent no money and can come in and, and kind of undercut them. Well, I tell you, uh, the golf industry now has changed so much over the last 30 years. It is so competitive. Um, you have to have your niche. And I think why the Aiken Golf Club is still here after 106 years is the fact that we've been able to adapt and we have our niche. And it may be a small niche, but it's, it's the history, it's the routing, um, it's walkable. Um, we're a three wood away from downtown. You don't see that very often. Um, and it's just a charming, quaint uh, golf course with a lot of character. Tell us a little bit about how it's evolved. Well, it, be- it began as life. Uh, the Aiken Golf Club began as a hotel resort golf course. Uh, this was a, incre- Aiken was known as the winter resort. The DuPonts, the Firestones, uh, so many of the wealthiest owned homes here. Uh, the Palmetto Golf Club, which is one of the finest private clubs in South Carolina, it was one of the first built in 1893. Uh, Aiken Golf Club was probably on the top 30 or 40 in 1912. It served the hotel, the Highland Park Hotel, uh, all the way until 1939. Then it became a municipal golf course, so it, it adapted after the Depression. So the Depression caused the, it did. The, it becoming a municipal. It was. And the fact that it survived the Depression, some of the wealthy winter colonists that lived around the golf course loved it so much that they actually donated money to the club in 1938 and 39 to keep it to keep it going. And those those people were also members at they were members at, at Palmetto Palmetto, which and is right some down were actually um, later on members at Augusta National. This little area of golf, because you're what 20 miles from Augusta. Yes, yes. it's a it's a mecca for great great golf courses, and it's like we spoke earlier. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the beautiful topography and the site that we have in this area. Because within 30 miles, we've got Augusta National Golf Club, we've got Augusta Country Club, you've got Palmetto Golf Club, and a newer Fazio called Sage Valley is always ranked very high. And it's because the topography and, and the routing is so natural on this type of site. We're sandy. It's almost a Pinehurst feel. 
I guess you could consider possibly the sand hills of South Carolina. So that's, that's what makes this area special. And that's why the golfers, because of the winter weather, was mild considerably back in the day. A lot of the winter wealthy uh, northerners would come in winter here and they wanted to play golf, ride their horses. So it just attracted that type of clientele. Yeah, it's, uh, for speaking from the northerner, this in February is pretty nice. It's yes. about 65 degrees. It's, Today's a perfect example. Yeah. It becomes a municipal. Yes. And then it's it's owned by the city for yes. how what, what the, was The city it? had an agreement when they purchased it from the hotel, which uh, didn't make it through the Depression. And uh, the city bought it with an understanding they would have to own it for 20 years. And the end of that 20 years was 1959, and my father was a, had been a golf professional at Charlotte Country Club and a great player, played for Duke University, was a PGA professional, and he always had a dream to own his own golf course. And so he purchased it from the city of Aiken in 1959. Um, so June of this year will mark 60 years for our family. So he p- purchases it, and it wasn't a public facility until later, right? Correct. Now, uh, it went from hotel resort to municipal to a private country club. We actually had a pool, dining. I mean, I remember when I was very little, I was one of the, the screaming kids in the pool on a Saturday in a you know, hot July. Had over 300 members at one time. It was kind of the only game in town at that time. And as, as things evolved and Aiken got larger, the real estate development golf course boom came in. Um, and then we adapted again and became a semi-private club. Actually, probably 50% public play and 50% membership. And today you're semi-private? We sure are. That We seem like that. that's the best niche because um, there are too many private clubs, to be honest, in, 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 in the Aiken area. We want to be accessible. We want people to come and enjoy the golf course. We will always be open, you know, for guest play. Um, we want to be inclusive, not exclusive, um, and I think that's going forward. We will probably always be that way. The golf course has a lot of Scottish characteristics with it being accessible for the entire community, but also, you know, the routing kind of goes out and back. Yes. It's right next to town, so you're basically golfing in this small little town of Aiken, and it, so it's got a lot of the same characteristics of a Scottish golf course. And here it is in South Carolina, you know, right <laughs> on the South Carolina, Georgia border. And I think that's what makes it unique and unusual, because I think when people come to play the Aiken Golf Club, they, they're not expecting this. They don't expect this type of golf course to be where it is. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that goes back. You've you got to give a shout out to Donald Ross and J.R. Inglis, in uh, 106 years ago for the routing. They, they, they did a masterful job of routing and, and utilizing the natural um, terrain that was there. And, of course, back in that day, they didn't move a whole lot of earth to build a golf course. So everything's natural. I've had so many people play here and say, this looks like this golf course has been here forever, and it, 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 it was designed to be a golf course. Yeah, it, it, 1912, so it got built – Three years after McDonald got back from the 
his trip and built national golf links, which everybody usually says is the start of the golden age, but Ross had been building some courses around and obviously the connection with Tufts helped. Yes. Yes. Ross got his early start, obviously, um, doing some courses, but then, then found out that there was a big, uh, there was a market for hotel golf courses because it was the roaring teens and twenties Pinehurst resort. He built all five courses there. It was the first time that any designer had ever built five courses in one location. And then he, he built his, his empire from there. And we were just lucky to have his input here. And he had his protege, J.R. Inglis, who had built a couple of hotel golf courses for him, come and, and he, he built our golf course and, and opened in uh, December of 1912. And he, he actually loved this golf course so much that – he remained until 1939. He was our golf professional for over 24 years. Your golf course is 5,800 yards. From the tips. All the way stretched out. All the way back, yes. And I don't think anybody would ever say that this is an easy golf course. It's not. It's not. I, I think it's, 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 how the, it's how the terrain affects your tee shots. Sometimes... Uh, you'll get a bounce. Sometimes you won't. The greens complexes are difficult. Ross always believed, if you've read his books, he always believed that the par three should be the most difficult because you had ball in hand and you could tee it up. So if you'll notice on this golf course, we have five par threes and they're all extremely difficult par threes. The par fours, um, they're scorable. They're short, but they're tricky. And the par fives, you can hit those in two, but yet it's a, still a very, very challenging golf course. Yeah, you get the uneven lies all over Correct. the place, and then you've got these greens that they've got they're, – they're terrifying greens to hit wedges <laughs> into because they've got slopes everywhere. Yes. Vicious false fronts. You've got a double green. You've got all sorts of, all sorts of stuff going around, and, and then you're hitting up uh, – you know, 10-yard elevations from a side hill. It's just shots you don't really encounter much. Yes, yes. This golf course allows you to play kind of a ground game too, which is a Scottish tradition. So, and, and also when you get around the greens on some of the tightly mown aprons, you've got a lot of different options. You can flop it, you can bump and run it, you can putt it. The bunkering is not difficult, but they're strategically placed. So if you get in the wrong part of the bunker, you're going to have a very, very difficult you know, recovery shot. You're operating as a semi-private and the real estate boom hits and then a different type of golf course becomes in vogue. Yes. And at the time you say to your father, we, we got to do something. Exactly. Right? So when, when was this? And Well, of- we, we, we were fine through the 1970s. The 80s and the 90s, we got, we got lost. The, the real estate development golf course was in vogue then. People loved historical golf courses in this type of style, but it really wasn't. It, we couldn't compete with the type of money and investment that was being put into real estate development golf courses in the area. And to be truthful, too, our golf course started to really show its age. Um, the last renovation was not a large one. That was one my dad did in 1960. So it was time. Um, the golf course obsolescence had set in, and we, we, to be honest, we lost our market, and we had to do something drastic. And I'll never forget that day I, I took over from my father. He retired in 1985. I was a golf professional on Hilton Head Island. 
I came back and I took over operations for him in 1985. 1995, 10 years later, I'll never forget. It was a Sunday night. I was exhausted. I worked 10 hour, 10, 10, 12 hour days, seven days a week. And I walked in, I cried and I put my keys on the desk and he's, and I didn't even have to say anything. He said, son, what, what do you want to do? And I said, we have two options. We can either sell it, walk away. Or I said, we can, we have to completely redo the golf course. We have to reinvent this golf course. I said, from the greens to the tees, the irrigation to the cart pass to the, to the shaping, everything needs to be updated. He said, um, he said, if that's what you want to do, I'm with you. So starting in 1996, all the way we reopened in 2000, we spent four years renovating and reopened in 2000. And that's when we started slowly getting the accolades that, that we receive now for what the golf course is. So a four-year renovation. Yeah. yeah. It was all in-house, all in-house. How, um, where'd you learn how to do all this? You just, I grew up in golf. I remember uh, age 13, my dad would wake me up on Sunday mornings and he was always a little concerned because he put me on the triplex, the little greens master three, and I would go mow greens for him. And I could barely push the mow pedal because I wasn't quite tall enough. So I've, I've been in golf course maintenance and, and played great golf course. I was, I was a, a player at Clemson University, so I was a college golfer. So I've played golf courses. I understand architecture. I understand maintenance. I understand what they need to conditions-wise. And maybe it's just, you know, McNair's a Scottish name. Maybe, maybe in my ancestry there was someone that built golf courses because uh, I had never ridden a bulldozer before, but I purchased a, a Cat D5 bulldozer. It rolled off the, you know, the trailer. And it took me about a day to figure out how to shape, and we were off and running. And uh, it was basically an in-house, like I said, three three of us. How how did you plan out what you were going to do with the golf course? I, I assume you kept the same routing. We did not. The, the routing is just fantastic. We just tweaked every hole. Um, in fact, there was a joke. We would uh, we would say, "What would J.R. Inglis do here if he were here today?" And we, we would sit and, and kick it around and say, well, maybe he would want this green slope this way. Let's rebuild this green this way. We kept all the really great traits that were already here. We Im- greatly improved on the ones that weren't. And we, we basically brought a lot of character back to the golf course that had just been worn down through the years. The edges had worn off. Mm-hmm. We had to bring, we had to bring that, that look back. Maybe there were some waste areas that were there, sandy areas that they had grown in over years. We came back and rebuilt those. Reshaped bunkers that were there. But you've got to understand, it was a a municipal, too, at one time. And Ross actually had come back in 1934 and grassed these greens and reshaped them. Well, then, as life is a muni, the city was losing money in the 1940s and 50s. So what did they do? What What is every smart... Unit, they filled in bunkers. They took maintenance to whatever they had to do just to keep it open. And so when my father got got here in 1960, he had a lot of work to try and bring it back. Um, but it was, to be honest, I think it was a little too far gone. You know, with 40 years of no no upgrades, so it needed it needed that absolute 
blow up renovation. That's what we did. Did you have like old aerials or old pictures of anything that you you know kind of we, to look? We at never did. No. And we we t- we touched base with the Tufts archives. They did have some things, but the uh, the the sad thing is that Donald Ross's office burned, and all of his records burned uh, back in the '30s. And so many plans that he had, and so many his routings and stuff that he had uh, that penciled in, they're all gone. Um, yeah, amazing how many fires have like, yes. ruined yes. histories. I know. Yes, <laughs> of so many places. So, did had you read before you? did any work had you read architecture books oh my gosh yeah i was i was an architect buff (laughs) i mean i just i loved you know once you become a player and then and you're in the maintenance and you own you know your your family's owned a golf course you you start to you know ask questions why is the golf course you know how you know you've got to drain a golf course why are these green slope like this how does the drainage work in golf you know there's so many aspects to golf course architecture and just over time, you just soak them in like a sponge. And it's just who you are. If you're in the golf business like I have since age eight, you know, you just, it, it comes naturally to you what a golf hole should look like. I was lucky enough in my playing career to play some great golf courses. And you take away those images. And of course, I was that kid that in the back of math class, I'm the one um, sketching out golf holes. <laughs> you know, and playing blind man's golf. So I was designing golf holes when, you know, when I was in junior high. So it it just came, came natural to me. I feel like yeah. I grew up, in my, <laughs> yeah. I grew up designing golf holes. All sure. The, you know, yeah. and it's funny, they had the, there's a video game that I used to play that I would design. You, you could design a golf course and I wouldn't play the golf portion. I'd just be designing golf holes. And <laughs> it's amazing though. Cause like, I think about then it was like, it had to be the mid nineties. I was designing like, hard penal golf holes like yes. that were in vogue yes. then yes. And, yes as opposed to you know, how my views have changed and everything over the years um but one of the things you do that that a lot of places seem to struggle with is is providing architecturally interesting golf at an extremely affordable price i mean the most you pay here outside of master's week $39. That's correct. That's like correct. You, Saturday morning we, with a cart, $39. $39. You want to walk in the 20s. Yes, $25 grain fee. It's part of the accessible the accessibility of the golf course that we want we want to stay to where your average golfer doesn't feel like he's overpaying. Uh, we feel like this is probably one of the best golf values in the entire area entire for what country. you get. It could be. I believe uh, Michael Bamberger once wrote an article about us, um, golf.com, and, and uh, the very last line, he said, it's such a great golf course, and he said, all that for 20 bucks. He said, how, how, you know, how do you believe that? So I'll tell you what was funny, too, is Michael Bamberger also said, he said, what's so wonderful about this golf course is that you can just walk in the pro shop, say hello, pay, and go right out to the first tee. And he said, it reminds me a lot of my home club, which is Pine Valley. But he says, this is playable when Pine Valley's not. Yeah, we're, you know, we're, uh, we feel fortunate to be able to offer this to golfers. It, you know, golf courses, every golf course has their story. Everyone plays has a home club. And they get used to playing the home club. And, and when they come and play here, it's such a unique experience that we love to hear the comments. And it's... It gives us a lot of joy to be able to to offer something different, 
and that's I think that's why Aiken Golf Club has received some of the accolades that it has because it's so unique. In terms of maintenance, how do you maintain the golf course to a level that people are happy with the maintenance, where the architecture shows off, like where you can still hit all the shots, and that it's not too expensive to where your greens fee gets out of hand? Right. Well, I tell you what, that's that's where else, you know, and, and there's a new buzzword in the golf industry now. It's called sustainable. And we laugh because we've, we've been sustainable from day one. And when I say that is we're on a 90-acre site. Turf, total turf, rough, greens, tees, fairways is 38 acres. From a maintenance standpoint, an irrigation standpoint, from a uh, chemicals and, uh, and fertilizer standpoint, uh, when your average golf course is normally on 100-something acres with a, probably 70 to 80 acres of turf to maintain, we cut that in half. And that's where we can um, – we have a small crew. We, we do do certain things that you have to when you, when, when you run this type of a golf course. We do walk more our greens. We don't cut corners on certain things. We make sure our, uh, we're on – a great fertilization and chemical program every year. We never skimp on that. And we make sure that we try and maintain a consistent conditions, which is can be difficult to do through all the different seasons and the different conditions that we have in Aiken. But we're, we're, I think we really, where the golfers really appreciate it is the fact that it's such a sandy, dry site that we can have literally two inches of rain and within an hour you can go right out and play and it's and it plays hard and fast a lot during the year so you can play the bump and run and you can you know you can play what game you want to play yeah you you got a lot of walkers out here too what would you say percentage walk versus ride gosh i tell you uh we've got a great you know aiken is somewhat of a retirement community and so we've got a lot of uh, very health conscious seniors that really enjoy walking. I'd say our golf course probably has more walkers than maybe many other golf courses do. We've never had a, a rule that you had to ride, regardless of what day, what time, you can always walk here. And I would say it's probably 50% of our membership walks. I mean, so, for yeah. this part of the country, that's unheard of. Yeah, but it's such a walkable golf course. Yeah. Um, it's 5,800 yards there. There's, there's some elevation changes there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's a fun walk. Yeah. You yeah. get around it quick too. Yes, you can. It's, we, I would say our average round here, a foursome going out is, is under four hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it's, yeah. we played this morning on a holiday weekend. Didn't wait at all. Yeah. You know, just zipped around. So I, I got to experience it. It's, uh, it's great. I, it, so with the master's, is that the busiest week of the year you always uh, it, it can be it can be um it's changed a lot over the years um a lot of golfers used to come to aiken to play uh there's so many great golf courses now in the Augusta area that tend to promote the corporate and i, I think a lot of the masters guests now believe it or not are on the corporate dime mm-hmm. um so they're playing the sage valleys they're playing the you know the uh Champions retreats over in Augusta and that those type of golf courses, but we do offer something so unique uh, that we do get a lot of um, players Masters Week that make the drive from Augusta over to Aiken to play us. 
I mean, people should come play. The, I mean, the between. I mean, um, my personal opinion. I uh, we played. I played Palmetto yesterday. Oh, yeah, that's it's great. Phenomenal golf course. It is. And I, I thought about it. It's like if Kiowa costs four fifty, I'd pay four hundred play Palmetto if that's the going rate. But then if you com- combine it with this, that's a great two day little trip if you can manage yes, to get yes. your access out. Yes. Well, I tell you, we were fortunate enough. Uh, Matt Janella on the Golf Channel. Uh, he visited our golf course about three or four years ago, and he absolutely fell in love with it. <clears throat> and he does a feature on the Golf Channel every week before Masters, and he says, okay, if you guys are coming to Augusta, this is where you need to play golf. Mm-hmm. And he lists all the golf courses, what they cost, and he always says, and the best golf value if you're coming to the Masters is the Aiken Golf Club. And we would we would have more people call us, get a tee time, and come in and, for $100 on Masters Week when everyone else is 250 and up. Yeah. So, that's it. It's got to be hard figuring out how much to price for, for it Masters is. Week. It is. It is. And and personally, I don't like to go to a golf course and feel like I've gotten gouged mm-hmm. or, or overcharged because it's a certain week. I've had several golf course operators in the area say, Jim, your golf course is fantastic. You should be charging double what you charge. I just can't do it on a personal level. I want to stay where when com- someone comes here and plays Masters Week and they pay $100, they, well, I want them to walk off the golf course and say, hey, <clears throat> that was worth $100. I really enjoyed it. So, Do you guys get a lot of junior golf out here? We used to. Um, back when I was growing up, uh, there were some great junior golfers that came out of Aiken. In fact, over the past, Kevin Kisner was one on the tour now. Um, we do have a few juniors here. Um, some of the other clubs in Aiken probably have more uh, because they're more of a country club set and they have the practice facility of which, like a lot of older golf courses, even Palmetto Golf Course, uh, they never built driving ranges back in the teens and 20s. In fact, they never even had a driving range at, at Pinehurst until they finally built one, I want to say, in the 30s. It was called Maniac Hill. They, they didn't have it. Uh, Ross never even designed, put a, a range in at Pinehurst either. So... Um, it's amazing how much that changed. A lot of, like, in Chicago, a lot of the great clubs there have the worst ranges. <laughs> they were afterthoughts. Yeah, exactly. They were afterthoughts, <laughs> no doubt about it. On property, they may have had extra. Yeah, yeah like, I, Chicago Golf's is pretty good, but that used to be a polo field. So. Yeah, and, you know, and, and, and Palmetto Golf Club is one of the finest private clubs in, in South Carolina, obviously. And you hit balls, you, you hit the balls that can only go about um, 60% of a normal ball and they have nets in the back. So it's, um, yeah. What, uh, what hole do you get on out here that you're just like, you know, when you look at it, you just, you think back to when you're, you know, renovating the course and you just, you just smile cause you're like so happy with the way it turned out. Well, i tell you, I, I really don't have a favorite hole here. Um, I, I have kind of a love affair with every hole because of what went into each hole. And, you know, each hole is so different, but yet they all kind of blend together and they roll you through this crazy ride and you finish up back at the clubhouse. Um, I tell you what, there's, there's nothing prettier though, um, early in the morning on the, on the third, fourth tee, looking back at the third green and the third fairway with the sun coming up through those hundred year old pines. Nothing prettier than the 10th tee, which sits one of the, in fact, it's one of the most elevated sites in the city of Aiken. Um, as far as elevation goes. And to look down with the sun going down and the irrigation flying out in the fairway, number 10 is probably one of my favorites too, as far as 
just a beautiful spot. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great spot. It's so beautiful. I could only imagine now, when the yeah, and, colors come. And most golfers actually through through the time, uh, Spur Magazine was a huge magazine back in the 1920s, and the 16th has always been you know the old signature hole. It's a beautiful par three, great elevation drop, um, and they actually in Spur Magazine in the 1920s called it the famous Valley Hole. It was actually one of the most famous holes in the entire Southeast. And of course, there weren't that many golf courses in the 20s. Um, and it's got the stone steps that were built as part of a WPA program um, in the Depression. Uh, they were given a grant, and they built the, the, stone, the stone steps. And in 1940, in fact, the, uh, the green fee certificate is actually framed. Fred Astaire came and played, paid his $4 green fee, and they said he danced down the steps because they're a little uneven, so you, you have to take a different gait. And that's been the, you know, the, the funny story through the years that Fred Astaire danced down the stairs of the 16th. So if, if you really want to look at the, the signature hole of the Aiken Golf Club, it's the 16th. Uh, that 15th green yeah. is pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's a little two-tier. Yeah. And depending on where the pin is, it's, especially the back pin, it's – yeah. <laughs> there's just no good option yeah. on that yeah. one you just yeah. got to either hit a hit a really great tee shot or lay back and then you got a terrifying wedge what's what's funny uh jim dotson who writes a lot of golf books um he came and played here and i didn't expect this but he said his favorite green was the 15th green he said he's never played a green like that he said he had to put it a couple different times just to, to figure it out. But. The thing that got me all day was the pull of the property. How it, like pulls of the train, railroad. Well, supposedly it does. That was always the, the, the adage was it, it, the greens break to the railroad track. And I just never really quite believed that. But hey, maybe it, it was George's fault. He yeah. <laughs> in my head all day. That's why we didn't hit our birdie goal. Yeah. So it's, I, I think everybody should come. This is a golf course that everybody should see. It's, if you're into golf course architecture, this is a must-see, I think, in my mind. And we welcome you. We'd love to have you here. Yeah. So it's a, if you're making a trip down to Augusta, do it. If you're in Georgia, come do it. If you're, yeah, this It's a place worth driving to see. Spend a weekend in Aiken. And they're, they're fantastic, beautiful hotels right downtown and you can almost walk to the club they're that close yeah um so you guys gotta do and, like and a, the downtown the downtown restaurants and the feel of the old aiken downtown which is like i said less than a three wood away from our golf course is worth coming to enjoy thanks so much for the time well uh i'm excited for everybody to see the golf course and and then we'll uh and i think your story you know, owning running golf course and running an affordable and architecturally interesting golf course is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank the fried egg for, for visiting us today. It's okay. been a, been a pleasure hosting you. That's it with Jim McNair. Um, he was a great guest, great stories. It's just unbelievable that a guy with no experience in architecture, small crew, small budget was able to accomplish what he did over at Aiken. Just to give Aiken a little bit more color, and we had golf course architect Blake Conan on. Blake is a shaper for Renaissance Golf and has visited Aiken Golf Club, and he came on to talk with me about Aiken and the golf course for about 15 minutes. So enjoy Blake, 
and uh, thank him for his time. Which is amazing to me. Because um, it's, yeah, it's just, it, it's the accessible golf in, in Aiken, and there's nothing else really near there outside of Palmetto, you know, or Augusta. It's like both are fairly private. Um, it's good quality public golf near a city center. Like, how often does that come around? What uh, what do you remember about that place? So, the first green stands out. You know, it, it's a great way to introduce somebody to a golf course. You're you're teeing off in this wide open space, and you get up to this just crazy perch green that's a double green with 17, and there's some wild contours separating it. There's some tiny little pin positions on this knob, which I think. I think my pin, it was front and left when I played, um, which just sits perched out there on that knob, you know, and it falls off on all sides. Um, and then once you're past there, it's like, you know, two's not a great hole, but it keeps you interested. And then three is a pretty good hole. Four's that uphill par three. And then five's a, a sort of a really cool windy par five with that. Uh, it's It's got a pretty gnarly green side as well. So it's like those first five holes just, they passed the, you know, Tom, Tom always talks about you need to make an impression in the first six holes. And it's like, that's what that course does. Um, yeah. The Sandy, so yeah, the Sandy yeah. waste areas too. Like it's amazing that that owner did that with just himself and three guys. Is that all it was? Yeah. Himself, three guys. He had no background in, in construction. Just time. He just had time on his side, right? Four like years. He could chip away at stuff. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. So that. What do you think of the go the, ahead. the topography? It it sort of ebbs and flows. Um, you know, those first five holes have some, and then you you get into six and seven, and it's sort of flat. And then those, the holes that John Inglis added, the eight through 14, you know, they've got some really severe stuff going on or just, you know, big, broad slopes, getting down into some big lows and then having to come back out. I thought he did a pretty good job with those, those, whatever it was, seven holes that he added. Um, and then, and then, yeah, you're back on the, the original property. 16 goes way down into that low, that par three, and then you come up to a cool tee shot on 17. So it, you know, it's got way more interest than you would think by just uh, when you walk out of the clubhouse and you sort of see that open field for the one and 18 share. Did you, did you stay in town when you were there? No. What, what were my plans? I was leaving Pinehurst. Um, and I had some friends who were working on projects in the South. So I was going a really circuitous way back to Omaha. And then I just wanted to see some golf on the way to those two places. So Aiken was somewhere, but it, it you know, it's, it's part of the reason I didn't want to go to Palmetto. It's like Aiken was a, a, an easy place where I could quick, just like drop in. I knew I could get a tea time or wait 15 minutes and get a time or something and just get paired up with somebody and then be back on the road in three and a half hours, which is what I needed to do. Um, 
So I think I drove through downtown a bit and might have got lost, but then I showed up at the golf club. It's it's so close. It, it's sort of it's like Winter Park almost it, it, as far as its proximity to a city center. There isn't as much uh, real estate around it, but um, you could easily walk with your clubs to a bar to a pub downtown. Yeah, that's kind of in a way it kind of has like a Scottish feel because the routing goes out and back too. Yep. And it, yeah, starts, and it starts kind of in the town and then it goes out and then it comes back in. Yeah. And it, it, that's what I love. It's like, it's so simple. And the fact that it started with 11 holes and, and whatever, it was like pre 1900, right? Mm-hmm. Just before 1900. And this, we have this fun game that we like to play and we're, we've got some land just outside of town and we'll just go see how many holes we can make. And We'll just start playing golf. Um, so I, I really sort of maybe I'm romanticizing that story of its of its uh, genesis a little bit, but it's it's a cool place. And then yeah, when they added that to make it 18, it, it still functions and works quite well. The rate and like the the cost, like twenty five dollars to walk on a weekend morning. I think that with a cart, it's thirty nine. It's like and then the pace of play is fantastic. It being 5,800, people get around really quick. Do you, do you find yourself more impressed with places that pull off the low-cost, high-quality golf than, you know, the exclusive clubs sometimes? Yeah, totally. And and I'm probably a little biased because I seek those out. More, you know, sometimes I'll just not want to go to the hassle of having to jump through the hoops to be able to even walk a nice private course. I'd rather just show up and play a course that I know is kind of quirky or kind of old and is at a good price point And I know I can get on and play it and there'll be some interest. Um, you know, I, I find myself gravitating more towards golf like that whenever I'm in different cities. Um, and granted it's still, it, you know, it, it's still worth, seeing all the really good old stuff. Um, but sometimes it's just easier and, and more fun to get around these munis where it's, or, you know, these public courses where it's just all walks of life and they get around quick. And it's almost like, you know, the lack of a budget makes it maintained well, because it only allows you to focus on the things that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? It's like sometimes when your budget gets too big, you can start losing focus of what's important. Yeah. I completely understand that. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, that's that's the thing. It's, I think, so what do you think about the retail golfer? So that community that's played there all the time, they, they love that golf course. But if you took somebody, say, yeah. that, that's in a less, that hasn't been kind of established it's got a lot of quirk to it it's it's different it's it's not your your status quo golf course how do you think uh you know the regular golf consumer would react to it i hope they'd react well to it because i i find that stuff you know gives a place character and makes it unique um i also you know i, I think Sometimes you don't notice things that are quirky if you grow up playing them. So 
if somebody grew up playing, you know, North Berwick and all they knew of golf was just in the town of North Berwick and they've got four of the craziest holes in the world, uh, to them, that's sort of normal or that's what golf is. Um, you know, similarly back here, it's, it's like, yeah, if you grow up playing cool, quirky stuff and golf that's just laid out on the land that you're given, um, you're certainly I'd hope you'd be more receptive to it in other places. Um, With, uh, you know, parting thoughts on, on Aiken in terms of the, the public golfer who's might be in the neighborhood of the, uh, for the masters or passing through what, what would you say is your, you know, your threshold for driving your, say you're an architecture aficionado where what's your, what's your kind of radius of, you know what, it's worth me going to see this place. My radius, if it's worth, for Aiken, I, you know, I wouldn't want to stay overnight. I wouldn't want to have to make a drive. And, and I, I'm like, I'm, I'm locking in the time it takes to play around, grab a beer, and maybe grab a bite to eat. It's like, if, if I'm going to have to drive so far that I would have to, you know, wake up super early or be driving through the middle of the night, I probably wouldn't do it. But if I could wake up at seven and drive and get there and, you know, do all those things and then get back before dinner. Yeah, totally. Um, just because there's, it does have that Scottish feel with that. It's got that cool clubhouse and, you know, you could spend some time in downtown and just make a day of it. Um, you know, you'd want to, you'd want to do a little bit of that. So I, I don't know what cities are near it. I, I think Augusta is the closest city, right? Yeah. Charleston's, um, Charleston's a little over two hours. Savannah's a little over two hours. So I think Atlanta's got to be probably yeah, like three, maybe. Okay. So maybe, yeah, maybe that'd be, you know, if I was coming from Atlanta, I'd want to lump in like another couple courses and just yeah. make a two day trip out of it. Like but Palm, if you could yeah, do Palmetto, totally. if you could do Palmetto and that is, it's perfect. Right. Know? Right. So, yep. Um, and then I don't have my, I don't have my map on me, but I, I, I'm pretty sure those are the only two courses that I know of that are really can, worth seeing in, in sort of that area. I got um, Augusta country club, but that's that's private so. yeah totally i gotta see yep. that place uh, <laughs> all right i'll see you uh i'll talk to you soon thanks for doing this cool all right later thanks man bye the fried egg requires a different technique what you need to do is actually square the face so it'll dig down underneath that bad lie and propel that ball right out onto the green Here's the thing, playing out of a buried lie in a bunker is completely different than playing out of a nice, clean lie in a greenside bunker. You need to be aggressive on any shot, whether it's sitting cleanly or it's a uh, fried egg. Well, we've all faced it, the dreaded fried egg. It's not to be feared, though. It's actually a pretty easy shot to hit. Bye.